Today, on Commitment to Truth. We try to live like we have no cracks, and we seal them up with putty versus, no, no, I'm so clean on the inside. I got no issues between me and God. I got no issues with anybody else, but I understand I'm imperfect, and my perfection lies in Him. And then you know what begins to happen? His glory shines through you, and it becomes more believable versus just puttying it up. Welcome to Commitment to Truth, the teaching ministry of Commitment Church, a place for all nations. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. Each week, Pastor Cedric Brown and the pastoral team at Commitment Church strive to draw you into a deeper relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This week, we'll be starting a sermon series called Heroes. We'll learn from the biblical heroes of the past found in Hebrews 11 and by faith to encourage you to become today's heroes of the faith. Here is Pastor Cedric, lead pastor of Commitment Church, with today's message. Who uh, is this Samson? First of all, he was from the tribe of Dan. Judges chapter 13, verse 2 says he was from the tribe of Dan, of the family of the Danites, from the tribe of Jacob, and which is also what? The tribe of Israel. Remember I said he was this Nazarite. Judges chapter 13, verse 5 says that there was no razor should come upon his head, for the boy shall be a Nazarite to whom from the womb uh, from the womb and he will begin to save Israel from the hands of the Philistines again it was not in his hair it was in his obedience don't cut your hair just do what I tell you to do no strong drink that was a part of the, the uh, Nazarite's calling in other words be different than all the Philistines. Same thing he's asking us today. Live in the world, but don't look like the world. Let your hair grow, if you understand what I'm saying. Numbers chapter six, you can make note of this. It should be in your notes that you've been given. Numbers chapter six, verses one through nine, gives you a full description of this Nazarite, okay? Now, what is Samson's connection to Christ uh, Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, it says, The record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham, the Abraham, the father of Isaac, Isaac, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Judah, and his brothers. One of the brothers was Dan. Remember, we've been learning in this series that the beautiful part of all of these heroes found in Hebrews chapter 11 is that they're average people like you and I. People who have wacky family history. In the lineage of Jesus, we found, we, we took a, a deeper dive into Rahab, a prostitute. That's Jesus' family member. Men and women who just didn't do things the right way is still found in the genealogy, the lineage of the person of Jesus Christ who came to die for you and I a perfect death. Which says to you and I, guess what? No matter what your family heritage is, if you even know your family heritage, you may not even know your mom, your dad. You may be and have been adopted or you know your mom and dad and wish you didn't know your mom and dad with the crazy uncles and cousins and, and everything that you have and experience doing family gatherings. God has said, no, listen, you have been plucked out. 
that's the beautiful narrative of what we're navigating here. So you see this connection in Samson as well. Now, who is Samson? From the tribe of Dan. He's a Nazarite, set apart. He's also connected to the person of Christ, just like you and I are if you put your faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Amen? Now, here's three experiences which should make you and I uh, realize that we're a little bit look like Samson as well. If you look at uh, 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 Judges chapter 13, verse 25, this is what it says. It says, he grew up and the Lord blessed him and the spirit of the Lord began to stir him. So in other words, what makes him so much like you and I is this, is that many of us grew up in the Lord. Literally, like me, I was a pastor's kid. I ate, slept, played, I always like to affectionately say, I, I got left in the church. I'm the baby of eight kids. You know, larger the number of the kids, you, you people lose count. <laughs> you know, and it's kind of like, you know, where's he at? They, many times they didn't know where I was at. And one time I literally got left and locked in the church. I guess they went home, did the head count, and came back and realized I was gone. And I'm a little kid. I felt like I was about six years old. Like, where's everybody at? Locked in the church. We were in church all the time, right? Those long church gatherings, you know, I'm sure you've been in that. But here's the cool thing. Today, you're here, and you know what you're doing? You're growing up in the Lord. If you, you wouldn't be growing up in the Lord, being here unless someone forced you to be here, but you're here because you're curious and you want to grow and you want to navigate this relationship uh, with Christ. So what you find here is that Samson was a man who grew up in the Lord, but yet chapter 14 verse 1 through 3 says this. He had, in summary, he had this extremely selfish streak in him. Listen to what he said to his daddy in verse 2. He said, so there's this, I guess, beautiful woman or this woman he had eyes for. He says, get her for me. He's like, hold up, son. You probably say, do what? You probably need to get her yourself. But for whatever reason, he, has this, he had this, this way about him and said, well, I want him so you get, I want her so you get her for me. Then he did it again in verse, thir- verse three. There was another woman. Get her for me for she's right for me. And as you may or may not know, the story goes that that was his chink in his armor, women. Selfish, self-centered, lustful. Watch, it looks good. I take that one. I take that one. Give her to me. It was, became to be all about him. And truth be told, we all have a selfish, self-centered streak in us all. Get married, you realize how selfish you are. You know, you'll be single, loving Jesus, serving all your life, you're giving all your giving. And then once you get married, it's like, wait a minute, I didn't get married to serve you for the rest of my life. Yes, you did. Selfish and self-centeredness come out. Right, moms? You know, you're praying and asking Jesus for that baby. He gives you that baby and you want to give him back. <laughs> right? And you, you don't do that, right? But it's things like this. Well, you know, I need, I need mommy time. You know, I need mo- That's selfish. I'm not saying you don't need it, right? But it's like, hey, what about me? (laughs) 
We all have that streak in us about what about me? What about me? What about me? But why aren't you loving me? Why aren't you respecting me? Why aren't you, you know, treat me like an adult now? And I'm 13 years old. I should have the keys to the car. What about me? You know, it's all, it's like me, 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 me. Right? Do you remember, uh, some of us who are old enough may remember this. Uh, AT&T came out with a a phone plan called Friends and Family. Then iPhone came out and said what? It's about me. I ain't think about you. I ain't think about nobody else. But this is iPhone. (laughs) Tapped into a market. Think about you. Get all your data in one place. Everything you can do it all in one place. It's all about me. That's the selfishness that marketers pursue. You can have this car, even if it means you can't afford it. (laughs) It's about me, me, me. So you see this in Samson, and if we're honest before God, we see it clearly in us. And then lastly, what you see is that this extreme selfishness leads to being easily enticed. Chapter 14, verse 15 and 17 in Judges. Entice your husband. The guys around them, because remember he was telling the riddle and they couldn't figure the riddle out. They went to the wife and said, hey, entice your husband to tell us the riddle. So she pressed him hard and then he gave in which then leads to Delilah, right? That verse five in chapter 16, and chapter 16, verse five and 16, she enticed him, right? Is it it in your, you know, tell me, where's your strength? Well, if you buy me with fresh cords, if you do this, if you do that, right? Oh, okay, so she then eventually pressed him daily, and guess what she did? He He gave in, and he ultimately said, well, it's in my hair. What you and I will find is that those things that entice us will eventually break us. If money entices you, chances are it will be your downfall. Here's the weird thing. It can even be people you love. If your wife entices you God so, uh, guys so much, she will be your downfall. Chances are you'll get to a point that you realize you can never, ever, 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 ever please her. And then you eventually do something stupid out of frustration, out of anger, or you do something stupid just to please her. Not realizing, no, you will never please her, but point her to Jesus who always will satisfy her. The same thing, right? Ladies, how, how many times are you going to bend over backwards and do this, this, this? How many wonderful meals, wonderful romantic moments do you think that it's going to take to really help him love you like you need to be loved? How many people will one sleep with before marriage to think that, oh, well, let me test the water to see if this is the right one? Or well, maybe I can fill in the gap until, right? I mean, you follow me. It, that's why you see people go from job to job to job to job to job to job. Because like, well, maybe this job is the one that will satisfy me. 
then it entices us to do just crazy things. Like leave jobs without realizing you don't even have a job to take care of your family, but you just walk away from it. Because the satisfaction isn't in it. You thought, is, am I making sense, hopefully? Is that we all have this propensity to be enticed by someone or something. Just like Samson. But still. But still. In all of this that I just described to you, he is listed in the heroes of faith as someone that God chose to use. And I believe the same is true today for each one of you. And as we've been navigating through this series is that we all will fall short of the glory of God. But what do we do with that? The human sinful nature is I fall short, I run away. Versus I fall short, I run too. And that's what you do see after Samson, as we, as we, if you can turn with me to Judges chapter 16, and we're going to begin with verse 25 through 30, we're going to be in verses 25 through 30, is that you see now Samson after uh, the Philistines take capture, take him capture, blinds him. Right now, he's working in this mill in his grind area. He's in prison. He's in bondage. He's in chains. You know, now a God starts restoring him. His hair starts to grow back. Again, it's not in the hair. So something must have, did, something must have happened in the heart of Samson rather than in the hair of Samson. Because understand this, is that the scriptures say nothing about Samson's physique. Which to me is astonishing that God doesn't say he was this buff dude. But every depiction of him, right, from the very beginning of the movie shows this buff dude, bigger than everybody, you know, you know muscular. But my, my, my theological read on it is that he was none of the above. But he was a man, what the scriptures does point out, it says when the spirit of God came upon him, then he had extraordinary strength. But here, let's stitch it together. Hebrews says to you and I that all of these guys, including Samson, died with the hope of the promise that was to come. The promise of who? The finished work of Jesus Christ. The promise of what? His Holy Spirit to indwell you, not to come and go like he did with Samson. So our challenge is to connect the dots there. It's like, okay, well, Samson wasn't this extraordinary person. He was an average person just like you and I with sinful tendencies just like you and I who the Holy Spirit came upon and anointed him for what? Good works. Which similarly, right, stitch it together, if you've put your faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ, his spirit comes to live within you and be resident within you until the day of redemption. Therefore, you are empowered to do what? Supernatural works for a holy God. That he's prepared for you, Ephesians talks about what? Beforehand, before you were born, he prepared you for a heroic work. Now that being said, how then does this hero 
go through the restoration process so that he can finish well. If you look at Judges chapter 16, verses 25 through 27. It says, it so happened when they were in high spirits, meaning the Philistines, they're throwing some kind of party, that they said, call for Samson, that he may amuse us. So they called for Samson from the prison, and he entertained them. Entertain, uh, underline, amuse and entertain. And they made him stand between the pillars. Then Samson said to the boy who was holding him his hand, let me fill the pillars on which this house rests so that I may lean against it. Now the house was full of men and women and all the governors of the Philistines were there. And about 3,000 men and women were on the roof looking on while Samson, underline it again, was entertaining them. One of the most difficult steps towards restoration is this. <clears throat> it will start with it will start with amusement. What do I mean by that? When a man hasn't been the man of God that he should be in his home, chances are when he's trying to restore his place as the leader in his home, folks are going to laugh at him. It may come out like this. <clears throat> it may come out like this. Hey, family, guess what? You know, God was speaking to me, and uh, uh, I believe we need to start doing uh, family devotions. Guess what you think the wife and the kids are going to do? You're joking, right? We have not read the Bible. We haven't even smelled the Bible. Matter of fact, the Bible hadn't been in, any, in anybody's hand all until this time. And you're saying family devotion? <laughs> What's wrong with that? Well, what do you mean we can't look at that program on TV anymore? How can you just come in and I'll just, you know, right the ship? And now we're grown folk. It becomes quite amusing in households when that happens. Is it wrong that a husband or a man says, hey, forgive me, family. I got to right this ship. No, it's absolutely right. But truth be told, there's going to be people that you've been leading the wrong way. who are going to look at you and smirk at you and think you crazy as I don't know what, that you have now come out of the ether and said, let's now do the right thing. Can you imagine if you're a businessman or woman and, and you know, and initially you used to, you know, cut corners, you know, you know, do things illegally or whatever, then now you sit your employees down and say, hey, guess what, man? You know, we can't do that anymore. They're going to like, what? What do you mean? What's wrong with you? You crazy? It's going to be quite amusing and quite entertaining for people that you work with that you say, hey, guess what? I can't talk about the boss like that anymore because the Lord's convicted me that he has placed him over my life as my authority. And if I, if I push back on that authority, it's like pushing back on the authority of God. So you know what? I can't sit around a coffee pot or, or a water fountain to talk about our boss anymore. When you're trying to move back to a place that you should be with God, there will be people who will laugh and mock at you 
this is what the word amused me here in verse 25, to make sport of you. You see, but the author, Ethan, from the lineage of Judah, from Jacob, a relative of King David who wrote Psalm 89, listen to what he says in Psalm 89, verse 49 through 52. Where are your former acts of favor, Lord, which you swore to David in your faithfulness? Remember, Lord, uh, the, the taunt against your servant. How I carry in my heart the taunts of all the many people with which your enemies have taunted. Lord, with which they have taunted the footsteps of your anointed. Blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. So be it in my life. In other words, God, let them stop taunting me. Or when they taunt to me, I will what? Rely on you. Why is it so important? If you stitch it together and he says, just like you have promised your servant David, remember David committed adultery, premeditated murder, but yet he's a man after God's own heart. God, how faithful you have been with David, please be faithful to me while I'm being taunted. As you help David navigate his sin and his restoration process, God, be with me as people are talking about me, making fun of me, right? Cousins and uncles who are now talking about you because you're choosing not to do what you used to do, not be who you used to be. They will taunt you and make fun of you, but know that just as he was with David, just as he was with Samson, just as that, he will be with you. Amen? Amen. David himself failed. He was taunted. He was mocked. But guess what? He too was restored. Listen, a restored hero must be willing to be mocked if it leads back to God. Verse 28 gives us our second answer to the question, how then can we begin acting like heroes? Verse 28, again in uh, Judges chapter 16, it says, Then Samson called to the Lord and said, Lord God, please remember me. Please strengthen me just this time, O God, that I may at once take vengeance on the Philistines for uh, uh, my two eyes. And remember, the Philistines is synonymous as sin, dealing with sin, plucking out evil, right? So God, remember me, deal with me, don't forget me, so that what? Something can be dealt with sin. After we come to a place of realizing that people are just going to make fun of us, the next step for a hero is in restoration is, it is to understand it will require repentance. Repentance. I've been doing it the wrong way. Now I'm going to turn around and start doing it the right way. Lord, please remember. Please strengthen me. Listen to uh, these two terms. The words, please remember me. It means to be thoughtful of me, to think of me, to record me. Remember the scripture says this, because of the finished record of Jesus Christ, your name is recorded where? God, can you remember, even though I'm not remembering myself, that my name is written with your fingerprint and your blood in the Lamb's book of life? That's restoration compensation. That God, no matter, I'm feeling probably a little dirty right now. I'm feeling unworthy right now. But God, can you help remind me that my name is still written? 
and that nothing can ever erase that. But then listen to what he says. Strengthen me. This is so cool. The word strengthens me means this, to restore me to strength, to make me strong, right? Because apparently I've been weak. Now make me strong, to make me hard and firm. Or you could say consistent, steadfast, right? To encourage me, right? Because that's what's part of restoration. God, encourage me, encourage my heart. Take hold of me, contain me, right? Because in a part of restoration, I need what? I need some containment. And this is the final definition of this word. Repair me. God, I'm broken. Repair me. I didn't do it right. Fix me. And that's what he promises in the repentance process is that he wants to strengthen and repair you and contain you and hold you and encourage you. That's what a holy, sacred God does to anyone, for anyone who is moving back towards him like a hero should. Amen? Psalm 25 verse 6 says this, Remember, O Lord, your compassion and your loving kindness, for they have been from old, right? So God, just like you were with me then, be with me now. Just as you made me feel then, make me feel now. If I was hopeful then, let me be hopeful now. Then verse 7 goes on to say in Psalm 25, do not remember the sins of my youth, right? God, don't remember when I was just acting stupid, ignorant, uninformed. Don't remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions according to your love and kindness. Remember me for your goodness sake, O oh God. That's the God we serve. You see, when we're restored heroes, we were, uh, restored heroes remember who they are and are strengthened along the way to get to where they need to be. That's the blessing of a holy God. Heroes realize they will be the bunt of people's jokes on their way back to restoration. Aha, you, you're really not you're really not who you say you are. Ah, come on now. It's kind of like when my college teammates saw me after 20 or 30 years. One of the first greetings I got was, said, you a preacher? <laughs> it wasn't about how you do it. It was like, you a preacher? Said, you, you a preacher? And I was like, dang, was that that bad, you know? <laughs> He's like, you, you're a preacher? And he went on to tell me things recounted in details. Hey, remember when we, remember when we, remember? I was like, oh, dang, I guess I could have easily crawled in a hole at that moment. But you know the way that day ended with um, my teammates who I was their captain of their team? We huddled up in a parking lot and we prayed. I could have easily just absorbed all the guilt, right? That's, what, that's our choice, church. We could just absorb that guilt, absorb that guilt, absorb that guilt, and miss the opportunity. It will require repentance. It's uncomfortable, but it's necessary. And in the process, he's there with you. Lastly, 
You find in verses 29 through 30, again in Judges chapter 16, as a hero in our restoration process, it will require a personal sacrifice. Listen to what this says here. Then Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested and braced himself against them, and the one with his right hand and the other with his left. And Samson said, let me die. Let me die. Let me die. With the Philistines. And he pushed outwardly and powerfully so that the house fell on the governors and all the people who were in it. And the dead whom he killed at his death. Listen to this closely. And the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he killed during his lifetime. So can we tie this together? So many times we want to reach people for Jesus. Really what we're kind of saying synonymously here, I want them to die so Christ can live. But we're not willing to die so they can live. And there will be more people you'll be able to reach in your life for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ once you're willing to completely die. There's just be some things you just have to not do anymore that you long to do. That's part of dying. Some of you heard the phrase that I use often is others may, but I may not. God may give you the permission to do this, 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 but you know what? Not for me. Not for my household. Not for my marriage. Just can't. Can't do it anymore. Why? So he can live through me and so others can see him. Right? Remember, we're not perfect. But one of the best phrases I've ever heard early in my walk with Christ is that God uses crack pots. What that is really saying is this. In your imperfections, your cracks, that's when he shines through. You see, but what happens in churches is that we, we try to live like we have no cracks. And we seal them up with putty, right? And we just pretend and pretend. Oh, bless the Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. We pretend, 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 pretend. Versus, no, no, I'm so clean on the inside. I got no issues between me and God. I got no issues with anybody else. But I understand I'm imperfect and my perfection lies in him. And then you know what begins to happen? His glory shines through you. And it becomes more believable versus just puttying it up. It putties it up and you just try to pretend, 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 pretend versus, you know what? I'm weak. But guess what? He's strong. Yeah, I got a little, little wisdom, but he's got all wisdom. Yeah, I could do that, but he does it better. That shows imperfection. You know, you know, the best imperfection, you know, a leader and a man can do in his family, say, hey, family, guess what? I just realized that, man, I messed up. Greatest form of leadership is for a leader to say, hey, you know, the way I said that, please forgive me. The way I came across, please forgive me. Greatest form of leadership is humility. It's to show I have a flaw and I recognize my flaw 
And, and because of my flaw, I focus, I focus and rely on the one who has no flaws. <coughs> but when a leader continues to pretend they have no flaws, it shows how many flaws they do have. Personal sacrifice. Let me die with the Philistines. The word die means this. Let me die as a penalty. God, I'm willing to pay the consequences for whatever I've done. He killed at his death more than during his lifetime. Can you imagine all the people around you that you need to, that need, that need, need, need to know Jesus? Are you long for them to know Jesus? Chances are it may take a little more dying. It just may take a little more dying so they can live. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 through 14 describes it this way as nothing compares to gaining more of Jesus. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted as lost for the sake of who? Christ. So whatever you're holding on to, doesn't compare to Christ. Whatever you're even thinking right now, man, if I can, I just don't want to, that one, oh, but this is how I personally navigate it. If I'm struggling with not doing it, chances are I shouldn't do it. You follow me? Or if, if, if someone approaches me and said, well, maybe you should consider not or consider, and I push back, like, well, no, well, no, well, God hasn't told me that. Chances are, it's something that God is trying to say, Cedric, you should probably strongly consider. Whenever there's resistance, there's always an indicator of, is God trying to excavate something out of my heart and be sensitive and open to that possibility? So it goes on to say in verse 8, again, Philippians 3, more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing who? Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may count, I may gain whom? Christ. And may be found in him, not having righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of who? Faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death. Skip to verse 13. Brothering, I do not regard myself as having hold of it yet, but one thing I do. I am forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So here, here's it. Here, here it is, church nuts and bolts. Is at the end of the day, you know what dying requires? Forgetting the past and moving forward. Whatever you have done, whatever you have not done, forget it. If you've had successes, you know, out the yin-yang, at the end of the day, guess what? Forget it. Focus on Christ. If you have failed at every single thing you have done your entire life, forget it and press on. Because when we do that, what that does do, it allows us to understand, I have been crucified with Christ. 
Nevertheless, it's not I who live, but it's Christ who lives within me. And it's life that I now live. I live by faith in a son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. It keeps it in perspective daily. I crucify myself so that Christ may what? Live within me. Therefore, you have to leave the past behind. Your accomplishments, your, your uh, efforts, your failures, your lack of efforts, all your plaques on the walls, your letters behind your name have to always be in the rear view mirror. If not, I'm still holding on to a little better me so I won't completely die. You see, restored heroes are willing to make the ultimate sacrifice and as to die to self. Here's the last verse I want to give you, then I'll close. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12 says this. For we who live are constantly being handed over to death because of Jesus. Why? So that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in my mortal flesh, in my cracks, in my idiosyncrasies, in my deficiencies, he'll be what? Seen as I'm being handed over to death. Why? So death works in us, but life in you. As I die, others live. Restored heroes are willing to die so that others may live. It was said that Cyrus, the founder of the Persian Empire, once had captured a prince and his family. And when they came before him, meaning the prince and his family, he asked the prisoner, he says, what will you give me if I release you? Uh, the prisoner says, I'll give you half of my wealth. And he says, what would you give me if I release your children? He says, I'll give you all of my wealth. And he says, but what will you give me if I release your wife? He says, I will give you my life. I'll give you myself. So Cyrus was moved by this act of devotion to his family. You know what he did? He then released all of them. But on the way home, listen to what the conversation had was between husband and wife. This prince, this one who was willing to give everything up, his, even his very life, uh, to his wife. He says this. Interesting enough, he says, um, wasn't Cyrus a handsome man? <laughs> and this is what was her reply. With a look of deep devotion for her husband, she said to him, I didn't notice. I can only keep my eyes on you, the one who was willing to give himself up for me. You see, in life, we'll make some small progressive sacrifices. We'll give up some of the wealth, right? Depending on what, what's the, the reason behind it, right? We'll give up all of the wealth. Will we even consider giving up our, our lives for someone? But here's the deal. For us to, to give our entire lives all the time um, for Jesus and for the sake of others, the only way we can accomplish this is that we must only see 
the one who is willing to give his life up for us. When Jesus is always before you, when you always see what he has done for you, you will always be willing to give up everything for him. Hello, my name is Sarah Vega, and I am the Administrative and Executive Director here at Commitment Church. I hope you've enjoyed today's message by Pastor Cedric Brown. If you didn't know, Pastor Cedric also sends out encouraging videos weekly. We call these the Weekly Wire. We can send these encouraging videos directly to you by subscribing at www.loveallnations.org. Here's an example of the encouragement you'll receive. Peer pressure. I'm sure you probably thought when you became an adult, a man or a woman, that you would no longer have peer pressure. At least I thought that, that when I became a man, a man on my own, a man with my own family, doing my own thing, that I simply would not have any more peer pressure. But I've come to realize that there will always be people around me that would try to cause me to do things and say things and be things that really I shouldn't be and I have not even been created by God to be. That's why there's a Bible verse that encourages my heart. It says this, when sinners entice you, don't consent. So the next time you feel, feel like you must uh, agree to, consent to, co-sign to, uh, the opinion, the lifestyles, the, the verbiage, the mindset, if you would, of someone else, always remember, if sinners entice you, don't consent. Don't agree to it. Turn away from it. And just know that you have a friend in Christ who will stick closer to you than any brother. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And the peer pressure that he will give you will be the peer pressure to become more like him. And if you become more like Jesus, that's the best type of person that you could ever possibly be. So let's all remember, when sinners try to entice us, let's never consent. Let's not co-sign to their behavior, their conduct, their lifestyle, their way of thinking, their way of doing, being, saying, living. But let us be men and women who choose to follow after the heart of Christ. We hope you enjoyed the sample of our Weekly Wire. Again, to subscribe to your weekly inspiration, refreshment, and encouragement, please visit www.loveallnations.org. Thank you again for listening to our series, From Commitment to Truth, the teaching ministry of Commitment Church, a place for all nations. If you want to listen to the previous messages in this series, or if you want to hear messages from other series, visit Commitment Church on YouTube or Pastor Cedric Brown on Spotify, Pandora, or other podcast providers. You can also visit us on our website, commitmentchurch.org. And if you live in the Philadelphia, Delaware, or South Jersey area, we would love to see you in person as well. You can attend any of our services by visiting us at 2 Berlin Road South, Lindenwald, New Jersey, 08021. Thank you again for listening, and have a blessed and wonderful day.